Chicago's Universal Radio Station, where we play classic jazz and contemporary jazz. 89.9 FM, WVOC. Chicago's Universal Radio Station, where we play classic jazz and contemporary jazz. 89.9 FM, WVOC FM. Chicago's Universal Radio Station, where we play classic jazz and contemporary jazz, 89.9 FM, WVOC. Chicago's Universal Radio Station, where we play classic jazz and contemporary jazz. 89.9 FM, WVOC. Artists that brought you water on water and crashing out. Pumpkinhead Productions presents Young Dolph at Allstate Arena Friday, October 25th. Get your tickets now for Young Dolph. Tickets available at AllstateArena.com. When David Ruffin sang Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City, you would have swore the writer wrote those words perched on the windowsill, overlooking 16th and Lawndale, or sitting on a bench on the 75th Street side of Hamilton Park. Chicago has always been a cold place, even in the middle of August. In inner cities across the nation, hip-hop has always acted as a voice to those who wouldn't be heard otherwise. Even if nothing else, to invite listeners to bear witness to the treachery, the heartlessness, and overall savagery of American ghettos. Chicago's no different. If anything, the intensity is thicker here as it always is, right in the middle, at the heart of things. In September 12th, 
I was sitting in the cell, DOC, housed at Elkhart County Corrections Complex in Elkhart, Indiana. The radio station game was weak as hell there. Unless you were on a certain pod or at about 7.23 p.m., you could stand on the tier like a flamingo and hear a song or two from Power 92. It had been damn near a year and I was anxious about my release date the next month. I really wasn't even listening to radio. I had gave most of my radios away by then, but I still had my one analog joint. Big Lord, you heard, you heard that. I don't like remakes with Kanye. Them or it. On 4M, folks, for went so hard that had to bust his shit down. I hadn't heard the original version, let alone the remix. Hell, been out of the city for five years. By then, as a shame, as I am to say, I had briefly lost touch with the vibe of Chi-Town. We tried about a week to catch the reception again. I finally caught it on Friday. They were right. It was dope. Needless to say, I dove right in. Drill. The voice of the savages. When David Ruffin sang Ain't No Love in the heart of the city, you would have swore the writer wrote those words perched on the windowsill overlooking 16th and Lawndale, or overlooking on a bench on the 75th side of Hamilton Park. Chicago has always been a cold place, even in the middle of August. In inner cities across the nation, hip-hop has always acted as a voice to those who wouldn't be heard otherwise, even if for nothing else, to invite listeners to bear witness to the treachery, the heartlessness, and overall savagery of, of American ghettos. Chicago's no different. If anything, the intensity is thicker here as it always is, right in the middle, at the heart of things. 2012, I was out in the city and completely oblivious to what was bubbling and about to blow back home. Our music scene has always been wide open. Again, similar to when Twister, Speed Knots, Do or Die, Drama War, The Snippets, Crucial Conflict, they all had their run. It was the South Side's turn, though. And this time, the notoriety would cost more rumors of kidnapping and whispers of murder. This time, there'd be bodies laid out on public display published to millions within hours. Tweets and Instagram videos capturing their moments alive. True savagery. While the blood of past kings soaked Chicago streets, these young princes would receive a hollow of bullets to be crowned savage kings. Introducing Arby's new Ultimate Angus Philly, thinly sliced premium Angus beef oven roasted and bowed eye, 
With hot melted Swiss, it could be the best Philly outside of Philly. Arby's, we have the meats. WVOC 105.7 FM welcomes you to the Barber Shop Radio Talk Show. I'm your host, Sean Harris. And joining me today is a former classmate of mine, class of 92, Philip White. And today's topic, The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary. Those of you who's been talking about COVID-19, coronavirus for the longest, you got something where you can actually watch to get inspired. Um, so yeah, the Michael Jordan documentary and Hey, I'm just going to jump on in into this field. Um, well, first of all, let me just go ahead and, um, go back here. Uh, episode four, um, they defeated the Detroit Pistons. Do you think that Isaiah Thomas was a little envious of Michael Jordan? Um, from my opinion back then, back at it now and even not so much today but back then yes you know you gotta think of it Isaiah was one of the top players coming out of Chicago right back in the day right great high school legend at St. Joe's with the late great Gene Picator yeah and then being at Indiana winning a national championship his uh, sophomore year with Bobby Knight right and then him being from the west side which is a if anyone knows Chicago, a pretty rough neighborhood coming up, and him representing Chicago for a long time from early '80s all the way to the '90s of great players coming out of Chicago. But you know, I, I think with Jordan not actually being from Chicago, kind of taking Chicago to another height, you another height. I think Isaiah was maybe a little envious of him. But you want to know something, Phil? You want to know something? I had heard, and this is a guy who I work with, man. He's from the West Side. He right. said that Isaiah came back to the neighborhood and Katz were, was like, you know, um, saying like, hey, Jordan is way better than you. And I, I think it pretty much took a toll on him, you know? Of course, of course, of course it did. You know, Isaiah, like I said, and I told people all week that was bashing Isaiah this and that when, you know, to a certain extent, he should have. But at the same time, man, you can't forget Isaiah was one of the best point guards and players in that era of basketball. Right. And, you know, he represented Chicago for a long time. And even up to this day now. Right. So, you know, naturally when you come across a, a messy talent, a great player like Jordan, yeah, he's going to take some signs from you also. But, you know, let's not forget what Isaiah – uh, also represented Chicago as, as well as the state of Illinois. Right, too. right. Do you think Mike was more of a, a savage guy? I mean, watching this documentary, I mean, it's got so many elements to how this guy competed and how he wanted to make his players around him better. You yeah. know, do you think he uh, he was a savage dude at the end of the day? Yeah, he was. I mean, to, to, to most people, I would say, you know, even up to now, you know, Jordan was a a-hole as a teammate. Great player, but a-hole as a teammate. <laughs> right. But to a certain extent, 
where he was trying to get the best out of you. Not try to belittle you, really, but trying to get the best out of you. Trying to mentally prepare you for a lot of battles that was happening back in the 80s and 90s with a lot of teams. You know, not only physically, but mental battles that a lot of teams played, you know, mental warfare to you. You know, a lot of people that play basketball, it's not too much of the physical uh, attributes or the athletic attributes, sometimes the mental attributes. You know, basketball, a lot of times, is a thinking man's game as well as a physical game. So, you know, um, I felt Jordan, you know, just mentally was trying to get guys prepared to help him and themselves to move further along in basketball to get to to the mountaintop championship. Exactly, and you know it, it's it, it it was it was good in a sense. Now I just also read that Luke Longley he didn't want to be a part of this documentary. Um, I noticed I haven't seen Luke. I noticed uh, right, wow. right, yeah, and I I hear that you know Mike was really hard on him the most. Now we're talking about Luke Longley, the former center uh, for yes. the Chicago Bulls. Right. Um, Australian guy. Seven foot two Australian. Um, I, I, you know when I was used to watch the Bulls, the last three, the last three peak team, the ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eighteen. Sure. I noticed. I noticed Bill. He used to yell and scream at a couple guys, maybe Michael once in a while, Scotty, uh, Dennis here and there, Ron. But I remember adamantly. Bill used to always be yelling, screaming at Luke. And oh Tony. yeah, yeah, yeah. Reason, <laughs> the two foreign guys he used to always get on their cases. Nothing in a bad sense, but more or less a basketball philosophy. Place. He was always like Luke, Tony, always yelling, screaming at <laughs> yeah. those two guys. Yeah, and, you know Luke and Luke Longley, to his credit, was a very serviceable, serviceable center offensively, defensively. Sure. You know, for a guy his size, you would think. He put up better numbers, but he was very serviceable, good teammate, you know, didn't complain too much. A lot of ticky tack calls went against him here and there, you know, trying to even even the playing field with certain teams and certain players. But um I was surprised uh, Luke wasn't uh, interviewed. I was surprised he declined to be interviewed. I thought he would have a lot of good insights. But he's always been a guy never really big on the limelight. And stuff, even back then when it went, you never saw him get a whole lot of interviews and a whole lot of people coming up. Right. And you know something. All these years, he's contributed a lot to Australian basketball. Right. Right. Well, you know something. I want to thank you for joining me today on today's show, the Barbershop Radio Talk. And uh, I want to thank you for coming out to join us on today. Um, I appreciate you inviting me. And um, to the next time, uh, we look forward to to uh, for you to come on back and, and join us again. Oh, most definitely. I have, I have I had a lot of fun. This is very inspiring. Okay, well, take care, and to the audience, you guys have a blessed week. And you um, have a good night. Stay safe, Chicago. Wash those hands. Social distance. <laughs> yes, that's right. Dude, do wash your hands as much as possible and uh, take care. You too. Peace. Peace. Welcome to Barbershop Radio, where we talk the talk in sports 
And we walk the walk in politics. I'm your host, Sean Harris. Welcome, everybody. How's everybody doing? I hope everyone is staying healthy. Hey, everybody. We got a lot to talk about again. And it's a lot of things that's happening in this world. And we got a lot to talk about. And today we will be speaking about institutional racism in the United States. That's right. Institutional racism. Institutional racism. That's exactly what we're going to talk about today. And I'm just going to go into this thing. Years ago, back in 1980, and this was my first taste of racism growing up, uh, I attended an elementary school um, out in Evanston, Illinois, and I was playing with this young man. Uh, We were playing. uh, It was recess, and... He kept pulling on my hoodie and I kept running, trying to get away from him. And it was all fun. And all of a sudden, his nose began to start bleeding. Now, I don't know if I elbowed him. I don't know what, but you're just playing as kids, young boys. You're out parking. And at that time, you know, we was playing not in sand, but on tambark. They called it, you know, tambark. And so I don't know what happened, how his nose began to start bleeding. So we get back to the class. The teacher, she's white. And of course, Craig is white. And she asks him, Craig, what happened to your nose? And he points at me and he says, Sean punched me in my nose. And I said, what? And I said, you know, I said, no, I didn't. You know, I I didn't hit him. I didn't hit him, you know. And it was like, I was like, it felt, it, it was like that feeling like I was, I was begging for my life. That's the feeling I had, you know. And because you felt all that weight on you, upon your shoulders, you know, some of the students that were white in the classroom, they're all looking at me. You know, I, I don't have no witnesses to bag me up. And so it just felt, felt like everything out of me just like, just fell to the floor. And I kept begging and crying No, I did not punch this kid in the nose. I didn't. I didn't say it like that, but, you know, to the audience, I, again, I, I didn't, I didn't punch him in in his nose, you know? And so what she does, what she did was she ends up saying to me, shut your mouth. You shut your mouth now. So I didn't say nothing. I got quiet and I, and and I just kept begging and, and telling her I did, I didn't punch him in the nose. You know, she ends up grabbing me 
And you remember, if you, if you guys grew up, if you were like part of uh, Generational X, you guys remember these desks back in the days where we sat in, they, it, they was, it was part wood and part metal. And I still got that pinch in my back till this day where she actually shoved me in the chair, pulled me out of the out of the chair of the desk, slinging me back and forth, telling me to shut up. And then we go outside in the hallway and then she throws me hard up against the lockers and she keeps shaking me. And so I couldn't do nothing, but I just cried. But the point I'm driving at is, is the fact that she believed him. She didn't believe me at all. She was just, she just felt it was just anger in her heart. She thinking that I punched this dude in his nose and I didn't. And till this day, you know, that, that, that it, it, it hurts, you know, a little bit, you know, thinking about it, but, uh, it, 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 it was a, a, a part, it was a, a taste of racism, I should say, of what I, what I endured. And so, uh, that situation right there, it was, it was dramatizing, you know, traumatizing, excuse me, traumatizing. And then uh, just to speed, let's let's fast forward. But I just wanted to share that, share that, that, that example with the audience here. But speeding up fast forward, uh, a young man, Ahmad Aubrey, loses his life to gun violence. Uh, I think, it, in my opinion, as far as what I saw in that video... They intended on killing this young man. You got a shotgun in the son's hand. And then you have. The father holding a semi-automatic. This young man was just jogging. And many of you, you go ahead and take a look at the video. If you haven't seen the video, you can go to YouTube and see it. It's just. A, a heart-wrenching um, look in the video. I mean, the young man was just minding his business, just jogging. And it seems to me like they were hunting, hunting for him. And, you know, they're probably looking at it like... Uh, Okay, this is a a individual, but they probably looking at him. Well, I'm not even about to go there. I'm going to keep it to myself. I'm just going to keep that part to myself. But the point I'm driving at is personally I believe that this situation was a hate crime. You know, why why are you taking out the time to just shoot a guy who's just jogging? Um and to my understanding, the father, the white father in this case, he's a police officer. And 
to my understanding alone on this, they said that uh, this this case has been under the carpet for two months. And so I'm just encouraging everybody out there in Chicagoland or all over the world or all over the United States. Let's try to love one another. Let's just try to love one another. Um, and then thirdly, I want to cover is that how come we don't have no CEOs of color in, in, in some of these fortune 500 companies? I mean, you have individuals that work very hard to get to these positions. They, they network and Many of them don't give the, get the opportunity to become CEOs. I mean, there's been some CEOs, but I haven't seen a lot. Why is that? Why is it that in professional workplaces that African-Americans cannot get to no prestigious positions as a CEO? Now, of course, I understand we had the first black president, African-American president okay i get it you know i get it and it was it was faith and and perseverance that got them and got them that them votes and and everybody believed in what he was talking about i i get i get all that but at the same time african-american men i don't know too many african-american men in fortune 500 positions it seems to be always this glass ceiling this glass ceiling i mean they they work hard they get their masters their phds all their credentials and then i'm quite sure you know they network and and talk and discuss and it's like they don't know they stay put where they're at and then they have to go to another company it shouldn't have to be like that and so that's that's really what institutional racism is all about and, and what I've persevered and what other blacks have persevered. And I'm just asking the African-American community is we, we all have to stick together. We've got to stop trying to tear one another down. And so we're getting ready to wrap up the show, but. If you have any, absolutely any questions or comments, you can reach out to barbershopradio slash com. Until the next time, ladies and gentlemen, slight butter. Let's go. Peace. Welcome to Barbershop Radio, where we talk the talk in sports and we walk the walk in politics. I'm your host, Sean Harris. Welcome, everybody. How's everybody doing? I hope everyone is staying healthy. Hey, everybody, we got a lot to talk about again. 
And it's a lot of things that's happening in this world. And we got a lot to talk about. And today we will be speaking about institutional racism in the United States. That's right. Institutional racism. Institutional racism. That's exactly what we're going to talk about today. And I'm just going to go into this thing. Years ago, back in 1980, and this was my first taste of racism growing up. Uh, I attended an elementary school um, out in Evanston, Illinois. And I was playing with this young man. Uh, we were playing. Uh, it was recess. And he kept pulling on my hoodie and I kept running, trying to get away from him. And it was all fun. And all of a sudden, his nose began to start bleeding. Now, I don't know if I elbowed him. I don't know what, but you're just playing as kids, young boys. You're out parking. And at that time, you know, we was playing not in sand, but on tambark. They called it, you know, tambark. And so I don't know what happened, how his nose began to start bleeding. So we get back to the class. And the teacher, she's white. And of course, Craig is white. And she asks him, Craig, what happened to your nose? And he points at me and he says, Sean punched me in my nose. And I said, what? And I said, you know, I said, no, I didn't. You know, I, I didn't hit him. I didn't hit him, you know. And it was like, I was like, I, it felt, it, it was like that feeling like I was, I was begging for my life. That's the feeling I had, you know. And because you felt all that weight on your, upon your shoulders, you know, some of the students that were white in the classroom, they're all looking at me. You know, I, I don't have no witnesses to bag me up. And so it just felt, felt like everything out of me just like, just fell to the floor. And I kept begging and crying no, I did not punch this kid in the nose. I didn't. I didn't say it like that, but you know, to the audience, I again, I I didn't I didn't punch him in the, in his nose, you know. And so, what she does, what she did was, she ends up saying to me, "Shut your mouth. You shut your mouth now." So I didn't say nothing. I got quiet and I and, and I just kept begging and, and telling her I did I didn't punch him in the nose, you know. She ends up grabbing me. And you remember if you if you guys grew up, if you're like part of uh generational X, you guys remember these deaths back in the days what we sat in, they it they was it was part wood and part metal. And I still got that pinch in my back till this day where she actually shoved me in the chair, 
pulled me out of the out of the chair of the desk, slinging me back and forth, telling me to shut up. And then we go outside in the hallway and then she throws me hard up against the lockers and she keeps shaking me. And so I couldn't do nothing, but I just cried. But the point I'm driving at is, is the fact that she believed him. She didn't believe me at all. She was just, she just felt it was just anger in her heart. She thinking that I punched this dude in his nose and I didn't. And till this day, you know, that, that, that it, it, it hurts, you know, a little bit, you know, thinking about it, but, uh, it, 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 it was a, a, a part it was a a taste of racism, I should say, of what I what I endured, and so uh, that situation right there it was it was dramatizing, you know, traumatizing. Excuse me, traumatizing. And then uh, just to speed, let's let's fast forward. But I just wanted to share that share that 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 example with the audience here, but. Speeding up, fast forward, uh, a young man, Ahmad Aubrey, loses his life to gun violence. Uh, I think, it, in my opinion, as far as what I saw in that video, they intended on killing this young man. You got a shotgun in the son's hand. And then you have the father holding a semi-automatic. This young man was just jogging. And many of you, you go ahead and take a look at the video. If you haven't seen the video, you can go to YouTube and see it. It's just a, a heart-wrenching um, look in the video. I mean, the young man was just minding his business, just jogging. And it seems to me like they were hunting, hunting for him. And, you know, they're probably looking at it like, uh, okay, this is a, a individual, but they probably looking at him. Well, I'm not even about to go there. I'm going to keep it to myself. I'm just going to keep that part to myself. But the point I'm driving at is personally, I believe that this situation was a hate crime. You know, why, why are you taking out the time to just shoot a guy who's just jogging? Um, and to my understanding, the father, the white father in this case, he's a police officer. And to my understanding alone on this, they said that uh, this, this case has been under the carpet for two months. And so I'm just encouraging everybody out there in Chicagoland or all over the world or all over the United States, let's try to love one another. 
Let's just try to love one another. Um, and then thirdly, I want to cover is that how come we don't have t- no CEOs of color in, in, in some of these Fortune 500 companies? I mean, you have individuals that work very hard to get to these positions. They, they network and many of them don't give the, get the opportunity to become CEOs. I mean, there's been some CEOs, but I haven't seen a lot. Why is that? Why is it that in professional workplaces that African-Americans cannot get to no prestigious positions as a CEO. Now, of course, I understand we had the first black president, African-American president. Okay, I get it. You know, I get it. And it was it was faith and and perseverance that got them and got them that them votes and and everybody believed in what he was talking about. I, I get I get all that. But at the same time, African-American men, I don't know too many African-American men in Fortune 500 positions. It seems to be always this glass ceiling. This glass ceiling. I mean, they they work hard. They get their master's, their PhDs, all their credentials. And then I'm quite sure, you know, they network and and talk and discuss, and it's like they don't know, they stay put where they're at, and then they have to go to another company. It shouldn't have to be like that. And so that's that's really what institutional racism is all about, and, and what I've persevered and what other blacks have persevered. And I'm just asking the African-American community is we, we all have to stick together. We've got to stop trying to tear one another down. And so we're getting ready to wrap up the show. But if you have any, absolutely any questions or comments, you can reach out to Barbershop Radio slash Sean Until the next time, ladies and gentlemen, slide button. Let's go. Peace. Welcome to Segment Sean. I'm your host, Sean Harris. And joining me today is a good friend of mine from high school, class of 92, Philip White. And Phil, um, today's topic, we're going to discuss how COVID-19 has affected you from a sports standpoint. I mean, we can't even, how how has it impacted you? Um, Just in terms of watching sports, let's start with that. Well, you know, um, one thing that's impacted me watching sports is to, you know, watching live sports, you know, uh, the high school basketball state tournament was abruptly uh, postponed and canceled. So we didn't get a true boys or girls champion 
in the state of Illinois, and as well as the NCAA tournament, which it was, you know, as anybody that's a big basketball fan, that's a big thing to look toward, towards March Madness. We didn't get that March Madness. It's more March Sadness. Sure. And also with the NBA coming along, you know, the season's been postponed. And, you know, we haven't even begun to watch any NBA playoffs which have been going on now currently. So, um, as a basketball standpoint, sports standpoint, it's just not, it's, it has been fun, you know, other than watching old uh, high, highlights and games of the past and hype for college pros in high school. Well, let me ask you this, Phil. Would you actually, being that it's a pandemic going on, and for instance, they kind of let things go, and you have tickets to a baseball game or a, or a football game or a basketball game. Um, would you go? Would you go to the concession stand to get you a hot dog? I mean, I know you like to eat, man. <laughs> yes, but, <laughs> I do like to eat. Uh, I personally, I as much as I want to, I would say no especially if it's open to the public because as you see from reports and other things you watch on the news, you have a lot of people that are asymptomatic uh, carriers of the virus, unfortunately. So you may be going to get in line for a hot dog or your favorite beverage or whatever, and someone can start coughing or sneezing and having don't, don't know and they're passing on to you. So, just like as much as I love football, I like watching at the comfort of my own home. You know, I get up and go get something to eat. I can't do that. I'm not waiting in line or shell out a ton of money or got to go to the bathroom. You know that, especially with men, got to wait in long lines to use right. the bathroom and stuff. You know, don't get me wrong. The obvious and being at a live sporting event, nothing beats that. But you know, with these HD TVs and screens, it's almost making you in. You know, like that game, but being a comfort of your own. Right, right, and you know something. My concern is with the the seasons. You know, seasons change, and it gets hot outside. You know, who's gonna want to wear that hot mask on? You know, during that duration. You know, during. I I mean, you know, I I still want to enjoy the weather and things of that sort, but. I I I'm I think I'm kind of I I'm agreeing with you. Well, what if you had to put a mask on? Do you think you'll still get get contaminated with it? You know? No, I don't think I'll enjoy as much. You know, even though I'm trying to be safe and also look out the welfare for other people, other fans, fans, spectators. I don't think I would be as uh, comfortable as well. You know, especially during the summer, it's hot. And you're trying to breathe already with the hot air community, but having the mask on at the same time is not. I don't think it'll be too comfortable. But you know, this is the type of life we live in now. So every day, every day we go on and move forward. It's like the new normal. We'll see. Well, what about for you, for your personal standpoint? You know, you know, you like to play ball, basketball. That is, um, you know. I would say all of the seasons. I guess I'm semi-retired. You know, I definitely want to get back on the court myself. But, you know, um, 
because I've just been so busy and then still recovering. But anyways, um, what, from your standpoint, how is this, you know, making you feel? I mean, I know if you was to get back on the basketball court, you would be kind of rusty, man, because you haven't played in a long time. I haven't played in a long time. I haven't got my ran up and down, but trying to keep my wind up running and do a little jogging and stretching and exercise. But, you know, it's nothing like being on the court, running back and forth, getting the adrenaline going. And like you said, yeah, I'm, I'll be very rusty because, you know, they will shoot the ball and do things you normally do. Like if it was just a regular, you know, it wasn't a pandemic going on. You know, also I missed the competition. I missed the camaraderie with some of the fellas and stuff like that. So it's a lot to it. And, you know, I think also it's, it's good from a mental uh, standpoint as well. You know, you get a lot of uh, – a lot of people look basketball as fun, you know, working off a lot of stress when it happens to me as well. And, you know, I, it's, it's a lot of things that, you know, not playing is, is, is really like really being a really drag. Right. You know. Right. Well, this concludes our show for today, our segment, Sean's segment. And I want to thank you, for uh, Phil, for coming on the show to um, let everyone know how COVID has impacted you personally and just, you know, watching sports because it's really been boring on TV as of late. And I, you know, I mean, besides... You know, the last dance, that's all over yeah. with and everything. That but, was a big help. That but that help. was a big help, right? <laughs> that was a big help for everybody for the last five weeks. That was must-see TV on Sundays. Yes, indeed. Well, to the next time, ladies and gentlemen, um, I thank you for tuning in and uh, coming on board to hear Sean's segment. And we will talk to you soon. Have a bless, bless, and be safe, everybody. Have a good night, guys, and thank, thank you for having me on, Sean. All right. Hello, and welcome to Barbershop Radio. I'm your host, Sean Harris. And today we have very good topics to talk about. Um, slowly but surely, I see all these businesses, they're opening up right before our eyes and um i just want to ask the audience and i got a special guest with me uh one of my classmates from high school actually elementary school um mr marcel martin is in the house and basically the topic of discussion is covid19 how has it impacted your life and today's topic uh we're going to be covering a lot of details but welcome to Barbershop Radio, where we talk the talk and we walk the walk. So what's going on, Brother Marcel? Welcome to hey, the show, Barbershop Radio. How you doing, Sean? Thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Man, it's all good, man. Thanks for coming out. Hey, I just wanted to ask you, um, how has COVID-19 impacted you? Um, well... There are a lot of different different um, different impacts or different different experiences um, that we're all kind of going through with this. It's kind of uprooted everything that we know is the norm, and it's kind of changing 
how we do business, how we, we go to school, uh, school graduations, get seen by your doctor. I mean, it's kind of changed society as we know it. And um, it's kind of, we're kind of feeling our way through and, and kind of seeing where it ends up. You know? Well, let me ask you this. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you're like uh, into sports, but let's just say festivals. Now, would you go to a festival and, I mean, you still got to walk around with a mask over your face? Not at all, no. Um, I wouldn't go to any festivals, any, any, any events, any, um, any of that. Um, it's, it's, um, it's not, I, I have to weigh the pros and cons and what risk versus reward, and it's, it's, it's not worth it. It's not beneficial for me to put myself and my family at risk um, to enjoy a concert or a high school graduation or a football game or something, something, something that um, I consider foolish at this point, you know? Right, right. Um, I wanted to also cover these details because there's so much going on. They're talking about a, a vaccine uh, that they're talking about, you know, using uh, to, to clear up the COVID. What, what do you think about this? And do you have some concerns? Absolutely. Um, as I, I don't take flu vaccines, I don't take any vaccines. Um, we took childhood vaccines because we had to uh, for school admission or what have you. But the reality is um, a vaccine, they're actually introducing that virus into your body and your body is to fight and, and work to, um, you know, combat this this uh, attacking force, if you will. And so you, your body will develop its own um, resistance to this vaccine. So you're actually allowing them to introduce this thing that's killing everybody into your body. So, no, I'm not going to deal with any part of that. Um, no, 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 no. Right, right, right. And, and, you know, some I, I have to agree with you because you don't know what type of side effect uh, that that's occurring with this uh, with this med medicine or this this vaccine that they're putting together. You don't know what side effect is going to 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 incur. Um, so absolutely. And, 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 and I don't mean to interrupt. But sure. There's a difference in a, a vaccine and a cure. So. And they're able to find a cure that can actually kill these cells or kill this virus that's uh, going to attack your immune system and, and, and eventually kill you, um, then that's something different. That's a different conversation. Absolutely, I'll take treatment once it's proven to work um, if I have the, uh, the virus. But to uh, the vaccine prior to uh, a cure being discovered or even a, a basic or simple foundation understanding of how to how to deal with it or reverse the effects of it. They don't have that. So, no, it's, it's completely experimental at this point. Right. So, um, with that being said, you know, I'm out here in Chicago and they're, you know, they're, they're trying to, to analyze the, the data on when businesses are getting ready to open. How is it out there in, um, in Michigan, where you're at, um, it's it's uh it's interesting because there are businesses that are open, and they're I don't know by what yardstick they're they're measuring essential businesses, but you have some gas stations are open, some gas stations are closed, some restaurants are open, some are closed. 
um, I'm having an issue. Um, I have to have surgery and some medical stuff done. Um, the hospitals are, it's, um, nothing is protocol that we're used to or that we know. Everything is kind of, they're flying by the seats of the pants and kind of figuring out and making it up as they go along. Um, it's, it's definitely, I've had doctor's visits now. They're doing doctor's appointments by Zoom. Um, so if people aren't familiar with that, it's a, it's a conference call, meeting um, service, kind of like Skype. Uh, they give you the code, you call in, and, you know, you're, I'm seeing my doctor on my cell phone through an app. How is that effective medical care or follow-up or treatment or anything right. else? can't right. even see you can't you can't see my wounds or anything you have going on. You're talking to somebody on the phone, so right. um, it's just interesting. The whole 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 procedure and like I say, protocol and the way things are handled that we're used to that makes sense. This is a whole new day, a whole new game, and it doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah, you know this thing has really put a challenge on a lot of people, uh, the whole world, and. Uh, you know, it's it's very important that, you know, people stay at home when they tell you to stay at home, get tested, you know, it, it's very important, you know, uh, just as a matter of fact, uh, I just saw on the news and some people just couldn't sit in the house, man, they, they gathered up outside, you know, the Absolutely. Po- you know, the police was called, you know, uh, things of that sort. So I mean, it's it's a it's a really challenging time for us all. Well, Marcel, I want to thank you, brother, for for coming out um, um, as my guest on the Barbershop Radio Show, and um, we're getting ready to close out. And um, is there anything you, you would like to say to the audience? No, I just like to say thanks for having me. Um, appreciate your time. Appreciate being here. And uh, just be safe and, you know, wear your mask and, and um, listen to listen to the protocols or, or you know, um, people are concerned about their rights being violated. And, you know, they can't tell me to wear my mask. I'm a grown, whole grown man and a whole grown woman. Well, you know, do what you got to do. Just be safe and keep your family safe, you know. That's right. Okay. All right. Well, that wraps it up for Bat Barbershop Radio. And you guys be safe out there. And um, till the next time, peace. God bless. Welcome to Barbershop Radio, where we walk the walk in sports and we talk the talk in politics. Let's go. Today's topic, how has COVID-19 impacted you? Well, quite frankly, for me, it has been a big challenge like everyone else. We'll just start. I needed to renew my driver's license and uh, wasn't able to do that wasn't able to do that they had a bunch of signs in the door saying go online and those of you who need to renew your license you can 
you can be extended for 90 days. So it kind of put me in a difficult, well, it, it, it's got a, a, a positive and a negative all at the same time. But you have COVID-19 to back you up. Anytime if you're getting pulled over by law enforcement, you'll be able to let them know what the holdup is and um, let them know that the DMVs were all closed in Illinois. Not only that, I began to notice that I, I'm under, I like to work out. I'm a, I'm a fitness junkie. I try to stay in the gym as much as possible. And I, it's, it's, it's really messing me up on trying to get to the gym. So that has been a major impact in my life. And, um, you know, during this duration... You know, it it has been a big, big challenge. Another thing, sports. I love to watch basketball, NBA playoffs. Oh, wow. And that's not even taking place. So, in other words, they, they keep saying, well, they're going to have, they're going to bring the season back. Or they're going to have a championship. That's not going to happen. Especially with no fans to be cheering on, you know, your star players. You can't do that. So that has been a big challenge. But on a positive note, the Michael Jordan, The Last Dance documentary was great. Uh, All 10 episodes were great. So I really would recommend someone to to watch that show those of you that are not following the guidelines of 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 this pandemic please for your safety quarantine yourself stay in the house don't go nowhere that's the best thing to do you you will stop all these this infections from happening. Uh, now we're entering uh, phase three where most of the businesses are opening back up. And it's a really good deal for a lot of people. Everybody could finally get a chance to go back to work. They can finally get their haircuts right. Things of that sort. So we're in good shape. Well, hey, I will not be on air too long but i wanted to just touch bases with everyone and let you know that you are been a very good listening audience i really do appreciate it and you guys just stay safe out there stay safe and um till the next time barbershop radio sean harris is signing off god bless Peace. Welcome to WKUTFM Light Rock Radio Station. We'd like to introduce as a client for us Harold's Tire Shop.
Welcome to Barbershop Radio. Well, I'm your host, Sean Harris. And we got a lot to talk about on today. Today, I got my buddy from elementary school. Mr. Marcel Martin is in the house with us today. And today, we're going to talk about systematic racism in our society. Um... A lot of topics, a lot of things we, we want to share with the audience. And uh, today we're just going to go ahead and go right to it. So welcome to the show again, my brother, Marcel. Hey, hey Stella, how you doing? It's my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate you. Man, appreciate it. So, you know, today's topic is systematic racism, uh, and, you know, um, over the course of uh, when we went to elementary school, uh, it seemed like black history was just taught when the time came around. And then, of course, you learned right. so much about Dr. Martin Luther King. So I just wanted to just touch bases with the audience on, you know, um, our experiences with that because all I remember was learning about medieval times uh, what transpired in Europe I remember learning uh, about the Constitution uh, things of that sort uh, women's rights but what about African American black rights you know what about you know, teaching us about Marcus Garvey, uh, you know, uh, Booker T. Washington, Harriet Tubman. Seems like when the, we only got talked about this stuff is around Black History Month. But how come we just didn't have a class about it, you know? So I'm going to let you uh, take the floor and kind of talk about your experiences as well. Well, well, that was my experience as well. Um, sure. I, I I went to several schools in the area, and uh, we shared one together. But it, um, it's an uncomfortable topic. It's a topic that they didn't want to put in the school system because it's a topic that realistically your family and, and parents or uh, grandparents or whatever had to really, really teach you about and, and kind of relay that information. I know in the 90s it was kind of a push, you know, with the black sororities and fraternities and, you know, we were heavy in, in the hip-hop as far as uh, cultural awareness and sure. things like that. Sure, um, But the music has changed, the culture has changed, and um, it's just it's a different day and time now. But it's an uncomfortable topic. I mean, I understand, I mean, from their perspective, I mean, they, they, they want to minimize it and not discuss the pain and trauma that they brought to um, a culture, a race of people. I mean, it's... Is, um, is obvious, you know, um, but it has to be addressed, it has to be dealt with, it has to be talked about, it has to be understood, and that's how young people are going to move forward. You have to right. know where you've been and know where you're going. And, you know, I, I talk to some of these kids now, they had no idea who these people are, you know, right. uh, some of these shorties, you know, and you know, the, the individuals with their pants sagging down, man, they have no idea who these individuals were and right. what they stood for, you know. Um, what type of things you think uh, we need to put in place to kind of fix this problem? Because that's truly a quote-unquote, this is just my thing of it. It is a pandemic. 
if you if you know what I'm saying. I mean, you know, because it's and and, and I and I say that because the people, you know, my my people aren't learning. They're not learning. They're not getting educated. You know. Yeah, I, I think I think that um, first we have to like like anything else, you have to acknowledge that there's a problem, and um, we, we don't do that. I, I think in our generation as well, uh, before this generation. Our parents, grandparents, whatever, wanted us to uh, kind of co-mingle and become part of uh, the infrastructure of society as far as, you know, go to school, get a good job, make some money, get a house on the hill, that type of thing, and you'll be accepted. And the reality is you're not. You're going to be black regardless. You know what I'm saying? So right. you have money, money you want, drive what you want, however you want to do it, but you still going to have to deal with that. Um, so I, I just think that culturally... It's up to us to, to pass the torch. It's up to the parents to teach because the school isn't going to do it. I mean, you can't you can't lay that type of responsibility of understanding and 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 knowledge on, on an outside source. I mean, it has to that value has to be instilled in, in children from from birth. You know what I mean? Right. They have to know they have a place here. They have to know they belong. They have to know that they're a part of something bigger than than than. What, 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 what we've been given, you know? And right. um, it's, it's unfortunate, and it, it's a breakdown of the family structure. A lot of things have been done systematically to um, make this even possible, you know? But right. um, we, we have to we have to take, take the torch and do something with it, you know? I mean, even as far as negative activities back in the days, I mean, there was a, a unification, a loyalty, a, a brotherhood, a solidness that, you know, you stood by words and in code you stood by. Right. You don't stand by nothing now, you know what I mean? So it's uh, whatever feels good, do it. You're going to snake your man, do it. You're going to do whatever, do it. You know, if it feels good, do it, you know? And it's unfortunate, um, but that's where we at. And so we have to, each one teach one, and we have to, we can't, the attitude now is that's not my child, that's not my my niece, that's yeah. not my nephew, that's yeah. not my, my problem. We have <clears throat> to get point. back to the, 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 the thing uh, of it takes a, a, a village. It's a, it's a community effort, you know what I mean? So, right. um, and that's, that's you know, that that's what I, I think anyway. Right, and I agree with you. Um, it's, it's so much stuff going on, but yeah, they, they definitely need to know about their history. Um, and I also agree that, you know, black history needs to be extended a little bit longer than what no, it is. Absolutely. absolutely. Uh, and I think, I, I think that something else that has broken down back in the, I don't want to say back in the day, but back in, in our time and our, our brothers, older brothers, sisters, uh, cousins, stuff like that. It, it was a, it was a badge of honor to go to Morehouse or Spelman or go to black universities and learn from black professors and, and people that, that had their best interests at stake. Right. Um, but our generation, our parents and grandparents, they, they, they want, like I said, they wanted you to mingle, co-mingle and become part of mainstream society. So they want you to go to, you know, uh, universities that, that were not those black colleges and they looked down at those black colleges. They looked down at those black educators as though they wouldn't be able to teach you or lace you to be prepared to be successful in, in, in this society. So those schools weren't getting the funding. They weren't getting the, the push or promotion that they needed to get uh, students, you, right. you see what I'm saying? Right. So it's um, 
you're not a better person or a more educated person because you go to Michigan State, you know, or you went to University of Michigan opposed to going to Morehouse, you know what right, I mean? So, right. but that, that's what was being pushed, you know, and when you go to those those universities, and those, those universities, I, I went to a university like that, you know, Arizona State, and um, but I, that's the, I didn't go to a black college, but um, I know the experience is different, you know what I mean? Right, right. Right, good stuff, man. Good stuff. Um, and then you also find this um, not only in the educational system, but you also find it in the corporate, in the corporate places. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, if, yeah. Your heritage. Um, you know, if you you got anything on your desk <laughs> relating to, to Black history, you go have some problems. Right. You know what I mean? it's, right. It's, it's not embraced. Is not understood. It's seen as a threat or a pushback to society, and um, it's, 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 it's what it is. Unfortunately, you know, um, we we've dealt with, and, and that's the funny thing. I see these little 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 things and people post and this and that, but and the Confederate flags, this and and all that, and that's fine and good. But at least I know where those people are coming from. You know what I mean? When you come up north or you come further this away, right? It's um, yeah, they're laughing in your face and throw your application in the toilet, throw it in the shredder, you know, so that you walk out the office. So it's a different type of racism, but it's still systematic. And it, it, it's it's actually more devastating because it destroys opportunity. You know what I mean? Exactly. Whereas down there, you know what your opportunities are. You know or you, you can only get a job at the pickle plant, uh, X, Y, and Z, and you know what's happening. You know what I mean? Well, here, it's, um, it's a glass ceiling. But, you know, it, it, everything is supposed to be wide open and it's not, you right. know, unfortunately. Right. Well, <clears throat> I want to thank you for coming on the show to give us a, a observation, a big observation on systematic racism. Um, you know, um, it's, it's, I, I guess we just have to keep pushing forward. And like you said earlier, we have to uh, educate our children. And Absolutely. To, and, and Sean, I don't mean to interrupt. Sure, sure. Um, but can I say one more thing before yeah. we get out of here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's, we have to support each other's efforts. You know what I mean? When, when somebody starts a clothing company, somebody starts a, 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 a service business, whether it's car repair, home repair, whatever it is, you know, um, we tend to, we've been taught to say, okay, well, wow, that's, that's a brother, that's a sister, whatever, and, and they don't they don't support them. Or they think that the service is going to be inferior. It's not going to be the same service that they'll get at this other place. You know what I mean? And we have to get past that. We have to put our money with people that look like us, the people, people that have our experiences, and people that are trying to grow and have the same understanding that we do. You know, and that's, 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 that's really important, and that's, you know, dollars make sense, and you got to put them where, where they count, you know? Big facts. Big facts. Well, hey, look, um, I appreciate you coming out, uh, joining joining us back on the show. We hope to have you back on again. And um, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's stick together and, and try to come up with solutions and to help our community to build one another up. And uh, that's what we need to do. So with that being said, we're getting ready to go, and uh, the music is starting, and we'll catch you at on the next one on the Barbershop Radio. What type of crap is that? 
your house about a smack word like Welcome to the Barbershop Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Harris, and today's topic is a real sensitive topic. It's about homeless, being homeless in Chicago. You know, we, we got the climate, the weather. It's, it's really not a good it's, it's really not a good situation for nobody to be outdoors. In the, in the cold weather of Chicago So um, today is my uh, 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 My first guest I should say Is a friend of mine from elementary school By the name of Marcel And he'll be um, Tackling this issue And talking with everyone about What it, what it takes to be, be homeless And um, Marcel, welcome to the show Good, good, good. And by the way, I don't own the rights to this music, but um, many of us know where where it comes from, but we don't own the rights. And so with that being said, we're going to get started. Okay, Uh, so this is a very sensitive topic for a lot of people. Um... At the time when when you became homeless, did you feel safe, safe like within your community? Were you able to? Yeah. I mean, not at all, because you go from being from a safe place, a secure, safe environment to um, uncertainty, and it's basically the unknown. You know what I mean? You're you're a young person, you're a child, whatever, um, and you don't know what's next. You don't know what's to come. You just know that your, your foundation has been shaking a rock. And um, you don't know how to rebuild that. You don't know what that means. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. taken for granted when you have it. Right. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's it wasn't through um, any, I'd say, you know, parents went through a divorce, that type of thing. So it was it was abrupt. It was all of a sudden. It wasn't anything like um, a lot of people dealing with addiction. A lot of people dealing with a lot of issues. That wasn't our issue. Our issue was... Know, a, a separation, a divorce, it happened right away, real quick. And, um, you know, uh, most people don't have side accounts. You know, they got their husband, their wife, uh, they wife and wife, whatever sure. they got going on, but they, they share their finances or whatever. You don't have a side account, separate account that this person don't know about in case this person leave or act a fool or whatever else. So if, you know, things blow up, you kind of left in the trenches. That's kind of what happened. So, I was just getting ready to get to that a little bit more, and you kind of alluded on it. What was the hardest thing about being homeless, though? What was the hardest thing? I think I think when you're going through it, you really don't. It, it, it's a mindset like you don't realize it's damaging. Like even now at at, at this age, I deal with um. You you deal with it's never enough. Do you know what I'm saying? Like right. because. People take for granted that they have this or they got this job or whatever else. But when you've seen the bottom fall out of something for no reason, no no sense or no no fault of your own or the people responsible, you realize that everything is day to day. Everything is, is, is all temporary. You know what I'm saying? Right. So 
you you wait for the shoe to drop. I mean, I'm not a millionaire or whatever, but let's say you're a multi-millionaire or whatever, but I'm not going to be going next week, next month, tomorrow. It doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? So when you, you go through those type of experiences, you don't, everything is temporary. And that, that causes, um, it's psychological trauma. You never really deal with it in our community. You just keep on pushing. You know what I'm saying? You keep right. on moving to the next thing, but it's, um, yeah, it definitely makes you look at things differently. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, what three words would you describe being homeless? The three major words would you describe of being homeless? At that age, it would be it would be shame. It would be uh, protectiveness because you want to step up. You know what I'm saying? You want to change the circumstance. You want to you know what I'm do do what you can do to make sure that you know your people or whoever is with you in that situation isn't in that situation long and um but really just shame pride you know um and protectiveness wanting to get out of that situation you know fix it you know right right um what did you and your mom do to make it work when you we were... stuck together we stuck together yeah. you know whatever we was together you know when it was a draw, we was together. Yeah. You know, she was solid. She 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 was always down like four flat tires. She always had my back. Um, if she had five dollars, I had two fifty, and she had the other two fifty. You know, it was it was not a um, uh, it, it was nothing you could do on your own. You know what I'm saying? It was the the the, the circumstances and life was just too great, um, and we had to stick together and make it. And the weather at the time, you know, uh, being in Chicago, I, I, it was it was pretty cold around that time, right? Yeah, it was cold. It was definitely definitely cold, but um, that only lasted. I can I can say through the little time that we was, I say, man, we might have been in the car two three days maybe. But my mother always worked. My mother wasn't a, a person that. No, it didn't work. She was always a professional. She always worked. She always took care of business. As far as that went, it's just the cost of living in Illinois is just stupid. You know, and anybody that think they can make it on one income and they done lost all their savings, lost everything. It's, it's, it's crazy talk, you know, unless you got a bunch of credit cards or something. But she had a friend that allowed us to stay there. And um, they still tight to this day. They old, now nah, they old ladies. But, um, I called her my aunt, you know what I mean? She was there for us. She was solid. She held us down. Yeah. She let us stay there, you know, to gotta get us out of that situation temporarily, you know. That's good. That's good. Well, I wanna thank you for taking out the time to uh, come back uh, on board to uh the barbershop podcast to uh share your experiences of Chicago in Chicago being homeless. I really do appreciate that. Yeah, well, I appreciate, I appreciate you having me. And like I say, um, just I think if anything take away from this that I learned, and it's always been in the back of my head, man, it can happen to anybody at any time. Nothing is guaranteed. I don't care how much money you got in the bank today, what you're driving, what you got. You know what I mean? It's um, it's life, man. And life doesn't doesn't discriminate. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a lot of people that have 
You got attorneys out there. You got all types of people that, that are in bad situations uh, and no, to no fault of their own, you know, not drug abuse, alcoholism, or whatever else, disease, or whatever else they got going on. It's just um, life just takes a turn sometimes, and you can't control it. You don't have the range. You just got to go with the flow. Well said. Well said. Okay, well, this concludes our show, Barbershop Podcast. I want to thank thank my guest, Mr. Marcel, for joining us today. And until the next time, we'll see you on the next one. Peace. I was born to roll. Welcome to Barbershop Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Harris, where we talk the talk and we walk the walk. Issues affecting our community. Today's topic being homeless in Chicago. Uh, it's, it's really a, a touchy topic. And joining me today is my first guest who has endured hard times, um, being outdoors in the cold, in the climate, but he was able to get himself back on, on track. Joining me today is Mr. Ken. Welcome to the show. Okay, so my first question, uh, Brother Ken, is did you feel safe when you were homeless? Well, I I did, and I'm going to confess that I did, uh, and the reasoning is basically uh, my upbringing as a person of faith who believed um, in trusting uh, my higher power, trusting God for my security. And the second issue is being um, in a familiar location uh, where um, I was comfortable with the surroundings um, and also being someone who had not been uh, denigrated to the extent where my attire and my personality appeared to be uh, threatening uh, because sometimes it's your appearance uh, that causes you to become prey. So I hadn't quite made it to that point yet. I see. Um, what was the hardest thing about being homeless? Um, I think obviously um, uh, the obvious is having uh, no specific place to go, um, especially late at night. Um, when you can't, you know, always hang out at a friend's place or having uh, no specific uh, destination um, and realizing uh, that it's even difficult to, to sleep and, and to uh, get proper rest because you can't ever be comfortable in your scenario. And these were cold nights, right? When it's like sub-zero outside? A lot of nights it was uh, extremely inclement. Um, I um, 
uh, often thought that because I believed it was spiritual warfare, uh, that it was intentionally inclement, uh, extremely cold and or snowy at the time, uh, just to be every particular stereotype and inconvenience possible um, was actually occurring. So um, you find that uh, very things that you take for granted a lot of times as far as shelter concerned um, become very difficult to find a place outside of the uh, elements. I see. So were you moving like, 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 could you give me an example like of the places? I mean, did you have a tent or did you have like something to lay on? Or? Nothing at all. I, 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 I'm going to say that Pride prevented me from going in that particular direction. Uh, but I think the wisdom for me came into play. I found uh, places that I could hang out for a period of time. And I would just move from one location to another. Uh, eventually, I got bolder. Um, and I actually hung out at a hospital. Um, and because, uh, I'm going to say again, because of my demeanor and my appearance, um, I think someone assumed that I worked for the hospital um, and they kind of gave me some uh, leeway on my being around at certain times. Um, and then the other locations I found, um, 24-hour places like Dunkin' Donuts, um, et cetera, and I would uh, camp out there for periods um, as well to get out of the elements. Okay. What are the three words would you describe being homeless? Three major words. Wow. Difficult, embarrassing, and degrading. Why do you think most people go that route? And I mean, you know, I mean, it's different scenarios, it's different situations, but... Um, why do why do people just choose to want to go that route? Is it pride? Because I mean, some people. When you say choose to be homeless, I don't think anybody chooses. To right, be right. Okay, okay. Let me rephrase that. Right. Um, I will say that that decision. I mean, because I've spoken with other people, and they've told me that the system has failed them. Mm-hmm. Um. They 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 rather do other things than to just go to work for somebody. So I've been hearing a lot of these cases, but I mean, I, I, I well, apologize. Nobody doesn't choose. The difference of being homeless and being in a shelter. Um, there are different issues there. For me, being male, um, all of the locations are um, for persons that have some type of a, a impediment. Um, a returning citizen, a former incarcerated, um, or a drug addicted, something to that effect. Uh, those persons get uh, preferential treatment in shelters. Military uh, so, too, right? A, a military, right, military background. Um, so if you have none of those things, um, you go to the bottom of the list. 
Okay. A lot of times you don't qualify for assistance or you qualify, but you have to wait and you have to wait. Um, and in a lot of shelters, in, especially in the city of Chicago, um, I found this out uh, some years ago, um, but a lot of shelters are very are not safe. Um, there are uh, a lot of gang element, a lot of rogue element, et cetera, in these uh, establishments. Um, and so people have, in a lot of cases, chosen uh, to be on the street rather than be in that unsafe environment in a shelter um, or unclean environment in a shelter. Or sometimes the shelter won't allow you to keep belongings there. So uh, you can't bring things in. Things will get stolen. You will you will lose your property. Um, so there are a lot of decisions that come into people actually choosing to be on the street as opposed to somewhere else. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for taking out the time uh, to to uh, to to really share on this topic. Um, and apologies, nobody chooses to be homeless. I apologize for that. So, well, I uh, think I understand what you meant as far as the, the 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 phraseology, but I just wanted to correct that. I know I knew what question you wanted to ask, but right. I just wanted to adjust the phraseology there. Yeah. Okay, brother. Well, thank you very much uh, for taking out the time to come on the show. Uh, and this concludes our show, Barbershop Podcast. You can reach out to us at uh, workshawnwork777 at gmail.com if you have any questions uh, or comments that you would like to share or available homeless shelters that are out there for the people. Uh, thank you again, uh, Brother Ken, for taking out the time, and uh, this concludes our show. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.